think back. Do you remember that story about Donald Trump, the fake news story that it was in some Moscow hotel room uh, 15 years ago with a bunch of prostitutes, and there was a lot of urination going on, according to the fake news story. That story broke seven years ago right now. That fake news story, a sabotage attempt by the deep state, the Central Intelligence Agency, the FBI, and their favorites in the Hillary Clinton campaign, they tried to stop the Trump presidency before it even started. We're breaking this story. That's right, Wolf. Well, a CNN exclusive. CNN has learned that the nation's top intelligence officials gave information to President-elect Donald Trump and President Barack Obama last week about claims of Russian efforts to compromise President-elect Trump. All eyes on a breaking news story involving the President-elect Donald Trump. Potentially damaging, potentially explosive story having to do with the President-elect nine days before the inauguration, and it involves the Russians. Back then, we didn't know what we know now about the deep state. And wow, what a shocking story. Oh, my gosh. Could it be true? Could it be true? And it was nonsense. And it revealed so much about this horrible, horrible, unelected, permanent government that we have and their allegiance to the Democrat Party. They thought Donald Trump would, would crumble, at least be somewhat maybe embarrassed or whatever. They were messing with the wrong guy. Seven years ago. Today, right now, President-elect Donald Trump in front of the world's media. I want to thank a lot of the news organizations here today because they looked at that nonsense that was released by maybe the intelligence agencies. Who knows? But maybe the intelligence agencies, which would be a tremendous blot on their record if they, in fact, did that. A tremendous blot. Because a thing like that should have never been written, it should never been had, and it should certainly never have been released. I think it was uh, disgraceful, disgraceful, that the intelligence agencies allowed any information that turned out to be so false and fake out. I think it's a disgrace. It and I say that, and I say that. And that's something that Nazi Germany would have done and did do. I think it's a disgrace. That information that was false and fake and never happened got released to the public. As far as BuzzFeed, which is a failing pile of garbage, writing it, I think they're going to suffer the consequences. They already are. Amazing. He didn't, he didn't fold. He didn't cry. And he gave back harder than he got. And it made him even angrier. Comey, Clapper, Brennan, the whole mess of them. And seven years later, he's still fighting the same fake charges, the same fake news in court today. You know, they're going after his entire business empire. They're going after his freedom. Uh, and he's not taking it, still fighting back. And the deep state, in this case, uh, Letitia James, I think we can make her an honorary member of the deep state. The attorney general sitting there all cocky and weird and somehow, I don't know, like the cat who ate the canary. She thinks there's, there's safety in numbers. The media has her back. The deep state has her back. But it's not going to work, just like it didn't work <laughs> the first time. Anyway, he's, he's used to it now, Donald Trump. Here he is, same kind of setting. The flag's behind him. He's standing in 40 Wall Street, one of the Trump empire's properties on Wall Street. Yeah. And, uh, well, doing what he has to do. 
It's really a uh, — it's a witch hunt in the truest sense of the word. It's election interference. And uh, it just came out. I, this was just — right now, Letitia James visited Joe Biden in the White House numerous times during the Trump witch hunt. And this just came out about 10 minutes ago. I got it. And so it's all — it's all a conspiracy to try and get Biden, who can't put two sentences together, trying to get him into office. It's kind of an interesting rule of thumb. He always turns out to be right, and they always turn out to be wrong. Truth and lies. Truth and lies. Um, you remember Joe Biden's very deceptive inaugural speech? There is truth and there are lies. Lies told for power and for profit. And each of us has a duty and a responsibility as citizens, as Americans, and especially as leaders. Leaders who have pledged to honor our Constitution and protect our nation, to defend the truth and defeat the lies. Leaders of our government are not supposed to be determining what's true and, and what's not, okay? That is so far outside the job description of a democracy, okay? Just, but I thought instead of going through everything that Biden says that's false and everything that Trump says is true, and we have gone through this the lawsuit, you know, the Letitia James case. We've done it before. But I thought we'd compare and contrast something different. Um, Donald Trump, we already know where he's coming from. We already trust him. Instead of Joe, I thought we'd focus on Jill. Jill Biden, excuse me, Dr. Jill Biden, who's not really a doctor, not a real doctor, but um, she's very touchy about that. Uh, she said some things today on MSNBC. And in its own way, this interview is a lie detector test. And I catch her. I catch her. And you will, too. If you lie about the little things, you lie about the big things. Watch. When I was dating Joe, um, one of the things that drew me to him was his strength. And um, I, at that point, he had been through the death of his wife and baby daughter in a car accident. All right. What drew Jill to Joe was Jill was a powerful figure in a very small state and the allure of an extramarital affair. The story that she has told time and time again about how they met is false. Joe has told the same story. It's false. She was married to a great guy named Bill Stevenson, and she cheated on him. Look, things happen. People are human beings. But their marriage is based on, well, Publicly, at least, it's all a lie, how they meant all of that stuff. I know it. You've been watching this show. You know it. Next, please. When we got here, I felt that he knew how to rebuild this country because he had rebuilt our family out of tragedy. Do you really think that um, she put the, those two things together? I don't. I know a focus-grouped political consultant line when I hear one. We know phoniness when we hear it. And that is a phony, manufactured, political myth, okay? You can't fool us. They think we're stupid. Next. And I think what people don't see is how hard Joe works every single day, that he gets up thinking what he can do for the American people. We don't see it because it's not happening. We see you on vacation, or we don't see you at all. This is not a man who's thinking about the American people, adjusting his chair for the, I don't know what, for the right tan, for not getting a tan. We have seen you people, quite frankly, loaf. You're loafers. 
and your freeloaders. We know you. We know you well. A lot of us knew you before you uh, hit the White House, and we knew you were like this. Now everybody can see it, and there's no escaping it. But it's interesting how they so easily lie, how she so easily deceives. Next. His job doesn't end when we just have dinner together at 7 o'clock. It He's on the phone, and he's on the phone with leaders of foreign countries, and he's on the phone with his cabinet. I like how they use this, uh, this picture, 7 o'clock dinner, right? Um, well, it's daytime in this picture. The sun goes down uh, at 4-something in Washington, D.C. Look, and that lie comes right where we know he was not speaking to his secretary of defense for probably two weeks. Two weeks. The guy was in the hospital. He was under general anesthesia, colon cancer, prostate cancer, and Joe Biden has no clue. That guy might be as out to lunch as Joe Biden is. We know this stuff. And then there's uh, Joe and his reputation for telling the truth. And when I look at the man, you know, his integrity, his character has not changed, and he's unwavering, he's unflappable. Unflappable. Have you ever seen Steve Ducey ask this guy a question? Ever see him try to get on an airplane? This guy is uh, flappable. <laughs> the fake news covers for this, but he is very, very flappable. And did she say, maybe this is kind of in a weird way true, his integrity has not changed over the years. Well, let's go back to 1987. We'll just run this for a few seconds when in about 30 seconds, he told about 50 lies. What law school did you attend, and where did you place in that class? And the other question oh, is, could you quickly, I, I think we I, I think I probably have a much higher IQ than you do, I suspect. I went to law school on a full academic scholarship, the only one in my, in my class uh, to have a full academic scholarship. In the first year in law school, I decided I didn't want to be in law school and ended up in the bottom two-thirds of my class and then decided I wanted to stay, went back to law school, and in fact ended up in the top half of my class. I won the international moot court competition. I was the outstanding student in the You know how it goes. Lie after lie after lie. And the national media back then, they weren't as corrupt as they are now. They weren't afraid to basically say... You can't be president when you when you lie like this. And he had to drop out of the race. We are in a very different place now, aren't we? Kind of like an authoritarian state, a socialist state, like like Russia, like the Soviet Union. Remember that guy? Uh, what was his name? Leonid Brezhnev, you know, on top of the Kremlin. And everybody said he was youthful and vigor. Over there they did. We knew better. We know better, but they tell us otherwise. All right. Now this from Jill. Is there a part of you that is... Worried about his age and health? Can he do it? He can do it. And I see Joe every day. I see him out, you know, traveling around this country. I see his vigor. I see his energy. I see his passion every single day. See, this is where she, I mean, it's confirmed to me that she's a liar every bit as much as Joe. Um, we see him every day, too. And we have grave concerns. All right? We see the weak walk. We see... We see him falling asleep at meetings. We see him get lost. We see him, he needs to be guided by people, other people, other heads of state. The whole thing is embarrassing. And if she just opened up a little, right, just a little, let a little bit of authenticity, a little bit of truth, but she won't, she won't. And then, quite frankly, her, her denialism gets a little bit scary to me. And, and then, well, 
They lied about everything, and I think she's lying about this, obviously. The cruelty of MAGA Republicans against your family. Does any part of you once in a while think, oh, maybe we bow out? You know, that's why I want to go through yet another campaign. Because I think, as Joe says, democracy, our freedoms are what's on the line. And so Americans have a choice. Mm. You know, they can have strong, steady leadership, mm -hmm. someone fighting for democracy, mm -hmm. or they can choose chaos and division. You know whose freedom is really on the line? Hunter Biden's. Hunter's. Maybe even Joe's. That's why they want to stay in power so much. And then it, uh, look, that's a lie, I think. And we've established, right? This is all deception. We have our own, we know what's going on. And then there's this, and this seems almost creepy to me. We must win. We cannot let go of our democracy. And if you don't? I don't know. <laughs> I can't even think about it. No, I can't think about it. You know, it's, it is creepy. Oh, we'll go to Delaware. We'll go to Rehoboth Beach and we'll, we'll get by. No, we're all in serious trouble. Democracy, right? To save democracy, you must beat Trump. So what are they going to come up with? Hmm? What are they going to come up with? How are they going to take Trump out? What are they going to do next? The, the indictment thing doesn't work, right? Uh, I think they're very nervous about actually beating him legitimately. So what are they going to do? And that smug look that Jill had on her face right there, I wonder what they're thinking. God protect President Trump. We'll be right back. All right, big boy, uh, Chris Christie is out of the race. He spoke for 36 minutes. It seemed like uh, an hour and 36 minutes. Just such a, I don't know, he thinks so much of himself. Couldn't believe his lectury tone. Just, I don't know, issue a tweet or get up and get out. No, he had to lecture everybody. Mm, Trump's bad. I'm great. We're in this race to tell the truth. From the beginning, we've been in this race to tell the truth. No one would tell the truth about Donald Trump. No one would tell the truth about his divisiveness, his stoking of anger for his own benefit, him putting himself before the people of this country. I've never believed that Donald Trump was a foregone conclusion as our nominee in this race. All right, it goes and on and on and I on like this. You know, it's interesting, he, uh, he endorsed Donald Trump twice in 2016 and again in 2020. He's doing this for himself. He's, uh, well, he's a career politician. He's ambitious. He's also has no idea how to read a room. They were not into that speech. Uh, listen to this. I know, and I can see it from some of the faces here, that I'm disappointing some people by doing this. People who believe in our message and believe in what we've been doing. I also know, though, it's the right thing for me to do. All right. Wow, what a statesman. The right thing. Uh, he is correct. People in that room are sad. But they're not sad to see him go, all right? I've been watching this guy for a long time. I've watched all these events, really for amusement purposes, since he got in the race. And they're always sad. They never want to be there. I don't know who these people are, how he gets them, but back in June, one of his first events, nobody was happy. Nobody was into it. He talked too long, and people were bored. 
Can you see it back there? Sure you can. Uh, yeah, right. Let's go. When is he wrapping up? Let's take a look at another event. Uh, January, more recently, nobody thinks this guy can win. Everybody wants to go home. What are we doing here? Anyway, does that make sense, everybody? I think it's kind of amusing. Nobody remembers Chris Christie. That's the thing. Governor of New Jersey. But he has to tell you he's the governor of New Jersey. See that? Nobody's into him. Never had a chance. All right. Goodbye, Chris. Also, Liz Cheney, speaking about people with no chances, but propped up by the fake news. Watch. Would you ever run for president? Oh, well, um, I, I haven't, I'm not going to rule it out. I haven't made a decision um, about that. The people of Wyoming have ruled it out. You can't, she lost her reelection bid by how much was it? 20 points, 30 points, 40, 40 points. You can't run, after you lose a house seat. Anyway, she's on The View because her book is, uh, I guess she can still buy it. And uh, they just l pretend to love this woman. I do have people say, oh, my God, I didn't know you were normal. <laughs> um, and I have to tell you guys, I've done a lot of interviews, but, but you guys make me really nervous. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no, we're all on your side today. I know. To tens of millions of Americans, you stood by your integrity and you stood up for the country, and that matters so much. Whoopi asked me to listen to your book. It's one of the best books I've ever read. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Did she claim that she was normal? She is not normal. The book is terrible, by the way, full of lies, full of mistakes. I reviewed it. You can find it online. Nothing normal about this person. She grew up uh, the daughter of Dick Cheney. Oh, by the way, not in Wyoming, but in McLean, Virginia, McLean High School. There she is on the far left. Where is McLean, Virginia? It is in the shadow of the swamp, actually. It's a, <laughs> a stone's throw from CIA headquarters. This is a person who grew up in that military-industrial complex that Dwight Eisenhower warned us about. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. Well, we have. Um, does this feel like a democracy? Is your congressman in charge in Washington, D.C.? Now, they can write letters to the deep state and hope for the best. You know, Liz Cheney, speaking of letters, put a bizarre one together. Uh, a snap of a finger after sometime in December of 2020, as Donald Trump was contesting the election, we decided to try to mobilize the former secretaries of defense, there were 10 living secretaries. What if we, uh, what if all 10 of them would sign a letter of warning? It would be unprecedented. So she, the daughter of a former Secretary of Defense and Vice President, snaps her fingers and gets 10 of them, kind of like those 51 defense officials, right? <laughs> to sign a letter telling Trump that it's all over, even before January 6th. This letter is remarkable. It really is. And it's kind of scary. And it's what I think Dwight Eisenhower was warning us about. Can we look at that letter from the 10 secretaries of defense? The time for questioning the results has passed. The time for the formal counting of the electoral college votes as prescribed in the Constitution and statute has arrived. 
Next, please. Efforts to involve the U.S. Armed Forces in resolving election disputes would take us into dangerous, unlawful, and unconstitutional territory. Next. Civilian and military officials who direct or carry out such measures would be accountable, including potentially facing criminal penalties for the grave consequences of their actions on our republic. Okay. See Christopher Miller and his subordinates, political appointees, officers, servants are each bound by oath, law, and precedent to facilitate the entry into office of the incoming administration. You know, there was still a way to contest that election. Under the Constitution, Electoral Count Act of 1887, there was a lawful way to contest the election. Sorry, Jamie Raskin did it in 2017. The Congressional Black Caucus did it in 2001. Here is the military-industrial complex saying that the democracy can't work, cannot actually be exercised. That is dictatorship. Liz Cheney is a dictator. That cute little haircut and her glasses and her girl chat on The View, she's a dictator. And she still holds power. She is a threat to democracy. All right, one other thing we wanted to point out, Secretary Blinken overseas uh, commands no respect. America these days commands no respect. Here he is meeting with the president of the Palestinian Authority. Do we have this, please? He sits down with Tony Blinken, and they don't even decorate the room with an American flag. See that? It's conspicuously absent. That is so wrong and such a slap in the face. Our prestige, our status in the world has been ir not irreparably harmed, but deeply, deeply wounded by this administration. I think we can get it back, but it's going to be a long, hard slog. Be right back. No blind rhetoric. No talking down to me. Don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me how to think. I trust Newsmax. Newsmax. They don't tell me how to think. They let me decide. Real news for real people. The personal attacks really don't bother me. The fact is, is that this trial has shown and we have produced evidence about the scope, the scale, the depth the breadth of the illegality, the fraud that impersonally enriched Donald Trump and his family. The attacks don't bother her. She bothers me. Uh, this prosecution is bogus. She is racist. And she loves uh, drag queen story hour. You know, adults dressed as women hanging around with kids. She goes to those events. Uh, and she also prosecutes Donald Trump. So she was in the courtroom today as this trial wraps up, and uh, she just seemed to be, I don't know, like Mother Hubbard or something like that, just kind of all self-satisfied. Um, I don't know what Mother Hubbard means. I'm going to look it up. Somehow it seems to apply to her. Uh, Scott Rouse is the body language expert, one of our favorites, uh, the behavior panel. you got to check that out on YouTube. Scott, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing great, Greg. Thanks for having me, man. You, you bet. You bet. All right. So uh, what did you see in Letitia James, Letitia Peekaboo James, I should, I should point out, as Donald Trump calls her? A lot of confidence, a whole lot of confidence. And sometimes when you see that, the, the, you can tell there's inner dialogue going on because they're thinking, I've got to look confident. So it's almost a little too confident. And that's why I call that extra face. 
it's something where they're aware they're on TV, but they're trying to act like they're not on TV or, or there's not a camera on them. So they're looking confident and like everything's fine. But there's no reason in the world to be looking like that without knowing you're on TV. It's, a, it's, a, it's an odd setup. It's an odd psychological thing, but everyone does it, especially on re, like reality shows and that kind of thing. So I think she may see this as that type of situation. Huh. Yeah, she did. She kind of, sitting there. Can I see that again? That smile on her face. There's something. Um, yeah, like it's an act. Right. And I don't know why we're whipping. But yeah, here we go. This is slow motion a little bit better. Uh, you know, she's in way over her head. Maybe that confidence comes from the belief, the sense that she has protection from the fake news, the liberal media. And uh, let's face it, she's not the only authority prosecuting Trump. There's uh, Georgia, there's the federal government, state government, local government. You know, she's not necessarily alone on this one. She's not alone on this one. Yeah, yeah. Well, she sure looks confident. And I think she feels like she can pull off whatever it is she's trying to do. That's what that looks like to me from a body language perspective. All right. She is a not a very smart person. It is amazing. She, uh, a lot of folks uh, don't understand how she could have passed the bar. Sorry, I know that sounds mean, but it's true. Uh, Hunter Biden walking around Congress like he owns the place. I don't know if you know this about Hunter, but he once, according to his father, his father said that as a boy, Hunter said his dream was to be very important. He wanted to be a very important person. Didn't matter you know, how or what he did, just wanted to be important. And I think he's enjoying this. That's my sense. What do you think, sir? I think so as well. It looks like if you'll compare his walk to everyone's walk around him, his strides are longer than the others, except for the guard or the person right beside, right to his left. Everyone else is walking a lot faster. And it looks like he's walking slower, although he's at the same speed. His uh, legs are going a lot uh, further than everyone else's. And that shows a lot of confidence. It shows he he's um, being the dominant person of the situation, in other words. I mean, like that. So he's the man and he's kind of soaking it all in because, you know, if you look at the um, videotapes, cell phone tapes that he made of himself, he doesn't have a lot going on when he's not showing up for indictments. I mean, he's talking to Haley on the phone for six hours about nothing. You know, he doesn't have a job. He's, you know, so this is like this is showtime for him. And he's he, very much like you said. By the way, this information that you can you, you interpret and I think you're spot on and it's fascinating. What can we do with this material? I mean, is it in some cases not here, but presentable in court? Um, you know, what is beyond the it's fascinating. What's the value in knowing this stuff? Well, it gives you an idea of what that person might be thinking. And in my situation, what the person may do next. So it gives you an idea of what might be on that person's mind. You really you, you can't tell if someone's being deceptive or telling the truth for sure with one body language cue. But when you have several, you have a cluster of them, several cues that will let you know. For example, if somebody throws up just a single shoulder shrug, you might say you would say, oh, they may not be confident with what their answer is or what they're saying. But if you see a shoulder shrug and they go back a little bit at the same time and let's say their chin goes toward that as they do that, that's a cluster. So you can almost count on that being deceptive or that person for sure not being sure about that answer. They may not know the answer, but they're kind of making it up as they go. All right. Let's take a look at the CNN debate, shall we? Last night, uh, Nikki Haley versus Ron DeSantis. Go ahead. Governor DeSantis, your response. 
She kind of admitted that she did try to raise the gas tax, and she's on video saying this. I know she'll say it. She never said it, but she you is. Snip it, she, she did. You snipped it. You took did a little piece she of that. that. That is she not also, true. She also you raised Governor taxes. Haley, she Governor raised Haley, taxes Governor when she was in South Carolina. I don't know. It was a long debate. That's just a smidgen. Um, from that moment and others, what's your takeaway, please? It looks like he's taken a, a couple of cues from the uh, President Trump book on body language. He's doing a lot of the same things President Trump does. So, uh, so maybe he's, whether he's trying to mimic that, I don't know. But he's sure, But if you'll look at that, you'll see several little moves he does. This one, this one, and he does the the regulator. Regulator is the thing we use when we're talking to control a conversation. You just slow something down to speed it up to make someone move. Those kind of things. So as he's trying to re. Can, can keep control of the conversation or his part of it, you see him do this. Trump does that quite often. But this thing he's doing there, that's right out of the, the President Trump playbook. So maybe he's taken a, a couple of uh, points from his book. You know, I know, and why not? It's a pretty good book. You know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah. it's pretty effective communication. Very quickly, uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, actually, we don't have a soundbite from her, but overall, personally, I found her, I don't know, um, there was something about her that kind of turned me off. Um, and when she called DeSantis desperate, shaking her head, it reminded me, now I know it, it reminded me of Al Gore in 2000, making faces and stuff while the other guy was talking. Um, your, your reaction, sir? Well, when you see that, quite often what's happening is they're letting you know what they think without saying anything, obviously. So that's the easiest way to do it. Is to go ahead and when somebody starts talking, I don't understand that, or that doesn't sound right to me, or that sounds like it's not true. So when you see those these these captions, they'll give you, and there's specific mugs they'll make, or a, like a mug shot, they'll give specific faces, like I don't know, you see their head turn, and she may not. Um, in this example, she's not giving the most pleasant uh, facial expressions there are, but I think she's uh, she's still trying to be confident. But I think maybe he's he's winning in the confidence game on that one. And actually, how about this very quickly? When you get very, very physical while the other guy is talking, it's because maybe you don't have that much confidence in your verbal ability to set the agenda or to react. So you got to use all this other stuff, trickery, stunts, rolling the eyes, because your arguments aren't as sound or persuasive. Right. I think you just nailed it. So all right. <laughs> that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. Well, Scott, thank you very much. Uh, at Scott Rouse, R-O-U-S-E-3, at Twitter and the Behavior Panel. you got to check it out on YouTube, sir. Thanks again. Thanks so much. You bet. We'll be right back. As we made clear, and many other countries made clear, there'll be consequences for the Houthis' actions. Uh, we've also uh, repeatedly tried to make clear to Iran, uh, as other countries have as well, that the support that they're providing to the Houthis, uh, including for these actions, needs to stop. Um, it's not in their interest to see the conflict uh, escalated. Uh, and we're not the only ones who sent that message to Iran. All right, very nervous and fidgety there, right? A warning from uh, the Secretary of State, Iran, the Houthis. Are they really on notice after something like that? The Houthis are a pretty squared away group as far as terrorists go. I mean, they've got helicopters. They've been kind of, well, meticulously trained. They know what they're doing, operating out of Yemen. Uh, 
and by the way, just a few minutes ago, we heard that uh, U.S. forces and British forces have been targeting the Houthis. Amir Fakhravar joins us, Senate Chairman of the National Iranian Congress. Also, Gabrielle Norahana, former State Department Special Advisor on Iran from 2019 to 2021. Gabrielle, first to you. Uh, the state of affairs right now, some of us are still kind of becoming acquainted with the Houthis and their relationship with Iran. Um, and what did you make of that warning from the Secretary of State? Uh, well, first of all, it is in Iran's interest to escalate around the region. That's why they've been doing it for the last 40 years. Uh, and no, they don't care about words. They care about actions. Uh, I'm glad we're finally doing something about it. But look, Iran has been sending drones, missiles, rifles, RPGs to the Houthis for years. Sometimes the U.S. Navy actually picks them up along the way uh, to Yemen. So good to see that we're finally hitting them. But that should have happened the moment that the Houthis struck us in the first place. Amir, we're still getting acquainted with the Houthis, uh, but are they destined to be as big as, say, ISIS or al-Qaeda for the American people? And uh, anything else you care to share? Um, it's, we, we should understand that part, that Houthis without IRGC, Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, means nothing. Houthis, they do have all their supports, all their trainings, all their monies from Iran. We can call Houthi, the, this terrorist group, probably the uh, Yemeni's uh, chapter of IRGC. If um, U.S., the Biden administration, really wants to do something, they should target the real one. They should target IRGC's facilities in Iran. Then the Houthi will be gone, the Hamas will be gone, the Hezbollah will be gone. All those terrorist groups, Hashto Shabi in Iraq, all of them, they do have every support from Iranian mullah's regime. Okay, let's go and target them. Nobody is talking about boots on the ground in Iran because 98% of Iranian people, they are pro-American. They love United States. They can take care of the job on the ground. Just target all IRGC's facilities inside Iran, and then all these terrorist groups will be gone. I heard something similar about Iraq. Uh, I don't, I mean, I, but, but you know that country well. Here's John Kirby, Admiral Kirby, uh, White House spokesman on, on some of these matters. Despite what the Houthis may say, they are threatening and targeting commercial vessels with ties to countries all over the world, many of which have no connection to Israel whatsoever. These attacks are unlawful, they're reckless, and they are escalatory. We're working closely with the UN Security Council members uh, to pass a resolution to show international solidarity on this critical issue. The text of that resolution, which will likely be voted on later today, unequivocally demands that the Houthis cease these attacks. The United States does not seek conflict. All right. We don't seek conflict. Um, we, we may have it whether we want it or not. Uh, care to comment on that, Gabriel? And uh, what do you make of Amir's um, sense of maybe just take out major targets in Iran and, and go from there? Well, there have been a lot of U.N. resolutions about the Houthis. There's been a lot of U.N. resolutions about Iran. Uh, and one thing that they have in common is that they get ignored by terrorists all the time. Um, so they're a good starting point to give you sort of an international legal basis for action, uh, but they cannot be the actual solution. The solution is, as Amir suggested, actual military strikes to deter uh, these terrorists from taking action. Now, I don't support uh, U.S. boots on the ground in Iran or pretty much uh, anywhere else in, in the Middle East these days, um, but I can agree with him that we need to strike 
at the IRGC. Ultimately, um, these are Iranians who are funding, training, equipping the Houthis. And until they see costs at home, they're going to continue uh, their actions. Right now, this is just sort of some ragtag rebel groups who are taking uh, the brunt for Iran and doing their dirty work. So we should deny that cult, that, that deniability and say, hey, this is on Iran's feet here. Well, they don't look that ragtag. They, you know what I mean? They, the, the helicopters and the... Amir, uh, we're running out of time. Final thoughts. Um, you know, as uh, former CIA director James Woolsey said, the um, Iranian IRGC, the, let's, let's call it Islamic Republic of Iran's IRGC, they are the only terrorist organization in the world who have the Air Force, who have the um, 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 all type of armies. And they are using all of it to uh, create the terrorist organizations. Every single month, you see another new terrorist organization is coming up. Just target IRGC inside Iran. And it's some walls around uh, Supreme Leader, Iranian Supreme Leader's wall, uh, Iranian Supreme Leader's palace. Just target those walls, and then let's see what will happen. The people will take care of the situation, change the regime, and we don't need any single American troops on the ground at all. All right. If anybody can botch that, it's the Biden administration. I'm not sure about, but uh, intriguing. Amir, thank you. Gabrielle, thank you. To be continued, we'll be right back. So we just have this uh, tonight that the Biden administration, U.S. military, has struck Houthi forces in Yemen, um, a coalition kind of coordinated uh, counterstrike. Let's see. The statement came out just a little while ago, uh, and it's uh, in, in the President Biden's word. It says this all happened at his direction. Um, U.S. military forces, together with the United Kingdom, successfully conducted strikes against a number of targets in Yemen used by Houthi rebels. It says we also had support from uh, Australia, Bahrain, Canada, and the Netherlands. Uh, he uh, wraps this up by saying, I will not hesitate to direct further measures to protect our people and the free flow of international commerce as necessary. Now, as you know, there have been dozens of attacks against uh, international shipping and actually uh, military forces, our military forces. Uh, there's been a growing kind of sentiment that something has to happen. Interesting, though, we don't have much in the way of um, uh, what weapons were used or anything like that. And then certainly, well, the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, is out of commission right now. Uh, is that affecting things? We, we don't know. But, uh, well, this is probably a necessary step. But uh, I don't know. you got to watch out for that wag the dog thing. And um, is Iran the true target here? Should we be... All right. We'll find out more as the night unfolds and maybe tomorrow as well. Tony Blinken, meanwhile, uh, the secretary of state traveling the world and bragging in a very odd way. We've just uh, finished our third day of a trip that thus far has taken us from Turkey uh, to Greece, to Jordan, to Qatar, to the United Arab Emirates, to uh, here in Saudi Arabia. Everywhere I went, I found leaders who were determined to prevent the conflict that we're facing now from spreading, um, doing everything possible to deter escalation, uh, to prevent a widening uh, of the conflict. Okay, that's uh, great. <laughs> um, stay tuned. 
have to address this. Joe Biden earlier this week, I must admit, I, I missed this. Uh, he gave that speech at the church in South Carolina where there was a horrible shooting uh, a bunch of years ago. And uh, well, a white supremacist was involved and hence they want to somehow exploit this politically. But uh, this moment happened and listen to what the audience, how they react when Joe boasts about his connection to the black church. I was talking downstairs. I, uh, I've spent more time in uh, the uh, Bethel AME Church in Wilmington, Delaware, than I have uh, than most people I know, black or white, have spent in that church. Because that's where I started. So, no, I'm serious. I spent more time in the black church than most people I know, black, black or white. The audience, they weren't, that wasn't a murmur of approval. It was like, huh? Are you kidding me? It was a rude and weird boast, wasn't it? And untrue. Joe again hinting at his background in civil rights. How many times is it going to be busted for this? During the 60s, I was, in fact, very concerned about the civil rights movement. I was not an activist. I worked at an all-black swimming pool in the east side of Wilmington, Delaware. I was involved. I was involved in what, what they were thinking, what they were feeling. I was involved, but I was not out marching. I was not down in Selma. I was not anywhere else. What about the black church in Wilmington? Uh, he has gone on to boast about his activity in the civil rights movement 50 times since then. He had to quit the race for president for lying. And now he can get away with lying as president and as a presidential candidate. Always. It's amazing. All right. Meanwhile, Donald Trump still defending himself in court today, uh, defending himself in front of those flags like he had to do seven years ago from those false charges in that phony steel dossier. I ask myself this question, and maybe you do too, uh, are you doing enough to support the cause of freedom and America first? You know, think about it. Uh, think about how much time there is in a day. Uh, well, we got to spend eight hours at work. You know, you can eight hours uh, sleeping, right? And. Uh, this pie chart says we have five hours of spare time. I don't think we have five hours of spare time, but perhaps we can find a little bit of time, just a little bit of time to do something, whether it's raise money, give money, write letters, because our country really is at risk this year. And uh, I think we should all be very, very active. Writing, speaking, social media, find a way, a talent, and apply it to saving this country. My advice. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you. And we'll see you tomorrow. All the best.